Amen. Let's turn to God's Word. 2 Kings in chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 1. And we'll pray as we turn to God's Word. Amen. Father, this morning we give you thanks for your presence in our midst, for the great answers to prayer. Lord, for moving in our lives and Lord, the very sense that you're in our midst and we pray as we turn to your precious word that you would anoint your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would glorify your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said it. Amen. Second Kings chapter 2 verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry ye, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he, had also, when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And we know the Lord will bless uh, the reading of his word. I want to be on these few verses over the next uh, number of weeks. And this morning I'm going to uh, preach the title is God Answers Impossible Questions. God Answers Impossible Questions. Elijah had a burning question in his heart. We read this story here. It takes us a few minutes to read 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, the verse 15 verses. But Elisha had been with Elijah for 11 years. For 11 years, there was a burning question that was in his heart. It was a hard thing. That's what Elijah says that he'd asked. But he desired to have 
a double portion of the Spirit that was upon Elijah. What a question. What a desire. A double portion of the Spirit that was upon Elijah. You know, you think of so many great men and women of faith over the years that God has mightily used. We think of those in Scripture, of course, like David, the giant slayer. We think of Joshua and Caleb. We think of Elijah in this story. We think of John the Baptist. We think of the Apostle Peter. We think of the Apostle Paul. And when we look through history and we see great heroes of the faith, men and women, ordinary, with like passions as you and I, how God apprehended them And the same spirit that was upon Elijah, the same spirit that was upon Paul and Peter and so forth, the same spirit of God came upon these men and women and God apprehended them, raised them up for that task and that purpose and supernaturally God will work through their lives. Look at Wesley, look at William Booth. These men, and look at Catherine Booth, Amy Carmichael, locally Maggie Smith and others, how God would apprehend these ordinary people, give them a portion of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were raised up in that particular moment to do that which is not possible with man. And we're going to look at this this morning because there's a burning question And I would say this morning that there's probably many in this room that have come with a question, and you know that it's an impossible question. Isn't that right? There's there's a question that you need an answer to, and that question needs the impossible to be answered. And so we read in this story, like many of us today, coming with these hard questions, looking to God for an answer. Well, we know to start with, that God answers impossible questions. God answers impossible questions. He's the God of the impossible. If it's possible this morning, then we don't need him. But if it's impossible, then we serve a God that specializes in impossibility. We see through this book men and women who asked God, Hard questions are impossible questions. I think of one this morning. His name was Abraham. God had spoken to him, given promises. And God had brought his word to his heart that God would bring the past, that he would be the father of, of the faith and the father of many nations and the blessing of God would come forth from his loins. In Genesis chapter 15 It tells us there that Abram asked God this question. Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? He's 75, by the way. And he's asking an impossible question to God. What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? You know, when you just go through 25 years of their lives, Abram now is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. They're living in a tent on the plains of Mamre. And we know the story well because many things had happened in between time. We see how the Lord, how Abraham, sorry, had taken a Hagar and Ishmael was born and so forth. You know, God only has plan A. There is no plan B. Do you understand that? God only has plan A. We make plan Bs, but God has one plan. So God comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 18. If you turn to it, just to give you an example this morning. God comes to Abram. They're in the tent. Sarah is preparing the meal. She's, I suppose, in the kitchen department. And the Lord comes, Genesis 18, verse 10, and speaks to Abram. He's now 100 years old. Remember the question that he asked 25 years previous. Do you think God had forgot the question? And he said, I will certainly return unto thee. This is the Lord speaking to him. According to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. 
And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Verse 13, the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Now, there's many interpretations of why Sarah laughed. And I'm not going to go into that this morning, but there are different viewpoints on why she laughed. I certainly know that of the Lord. I always think of this. I laugh because I get nervous. But if the Lord came to us at 46 and 47 and says, you're going to have another son, I don't know whether we'd be laughing. I really don't know whether we'd be laughing. I know, well, I don't know whether you'd be laughing. I know I wouldn't be laughing. It'd be probably crying because God has blessed us, praise the Lord, with four great sons. But one more would just, I don't know. But you might get a weaker. No. So Sarah is in the kitchen and she hears the word of the Lord that you're going to have, you're going to have a son. She's 90. Did she laugh, mocking the Lord? And this is just, or was there such a, a, an expression in her life as she realizes that the, the God that deals with the impossible has come? And then in verse 14, verse, verse 13 says, Shall I of surety birth a child which I'm old. And then verse 14, this is what the Lord says. There's an impossible question being asked 25 years previous. And then this is what the Lord says. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, that's what the Lord said. Abraham asked a hard question, an impossible question. 25 years later, God takes his question, appears to him on the plains of Mamre in the tent, and says, you're going to have a son, because you asked me, you believe me, and I'm here to answer, and even at the age of 90, what's impossible with man? It's possible with God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, God's asking this question back. Saints this morning, is there anything too hard for the Lord? In Jeremiah chapter 32, the well-known verses, Jeremiah 32 and verse 17 to 19. This is what it says, Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness to thousands. Thou recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. He's great in counsel. He's mighty in work. For thine eyes are open unto all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Elisha had a burning question. It was burning in his heart. It wasn't just a fleeting moment. It wasn't just something that happened for a week and was gone. For 11 years of his life, he had a burning desire. 11 years. We're so fickle, aren't we? I mean, it doesn't happen tomorrow, Lord. That's it. I'm finished. I'm, I'm over with this. But 11 years, he had a burning desire for a double portion of the Spirit that was upon Elijah to be upon him. Why was that? Because all Israel had heard Elijah is probably the most boldest prophet in the Old Testament. You remember the great revival, 1 Kings chapter 18, Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal calling fire down from heaven. The testimony of Elijah, like many of the great saints of old, had gone out all across the land. And Elisha had a burning desire to see you know, I heard an old Salvation Army man stand last night and they sang, God of Elijah, hear our cry. And he stopped and he said, listen, we're in an hour. The church is in an hour. When we need the words of this hymn to become a reality, the church needs a revolution. 
The question is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Elisha had a burning question that he would have a double portion. Here's the man whose prayer life that caused the rain to cease for three and a half years, fed by ravens, the miracle of the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil, the resurrection of the widow's son, calling the fire down from heaven, causing it to rain again. And Elisha, this younger prophet, had a desire for a double portion of the spirit that was upon him to be upon Elisha. I mean, it's a boldness that rarely that we see today. Such a desire. Is there a young person that says, I've read those missionary books. I've read about Mary Celeste. I've read about Amy Carmichael. I've read about old William Booth. I've read about those great saints of old. I've read about Duncan Campbell. I've read about Evan Roberts. I've read about these men and women. Oh God, may a double portion of their spirit be upon me. Imagine the boldness. You know, they'd be put down in the church. They'd be asked to be quiet in the church. They'd say that they don't understand or they lack wisdom. But friends, that zeal that was in the young prophet Elisha, I want the double portion of your spirit upon me. Well, you're not allowed to ask that. That shows some type of pride. That shows some type of inexperience. You need the wisdom to go with that. And that is true. But brothers and sisters, we have so much earthly wisdom today that we're down in the trenches in unbelief. We need the fire and the power of God. And so there was this one desire. You see, there was one desire in his life for 11 years. One desire in his life. You follow Elisha. He wanted something from the Lord. Now listen, we're going to look at the subject of asking this morning, but he was willing to leave everything because he so wanted this one thing. I'm going to say that again. He was willing to leave everything because he so desired this one thing. That was his focus. That was his ambition. That was his goal. That was his desire. He was a man of one thing. There's so much distractions, isn't there? There's so many things that are trying to get our attention. But if you met Elisha on the path and on the journey, he was a man of one thing. David said this, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. You see, if you desire something, you'll also seek after that thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Are we men and women of one thing? What Elisha desired is what he sought after. To understand what it is to ask. Why is it we hear so often, but I asked the Lord and he didn't answer. I mean, I said to the Lord and he didn't come. I mean, I put it before the Lord and well, he didn't turn up. I hear this said so often, so flippantly concerning of what it is to ask. But could we look at what it means to ask? Because so often we ask God while we've already prepared the answer ourselves. Are you hearing me this morning? I know it's right to pray. But before sometimes we pray, and it's the right thing to do, well, we'll pray, we'll get the name on the list, that's the right. But even before, when we have the name on the list, when we have the prayer request ready, when we've sent the text out, we need a real special prayer going up. I believe in that. But we've already started plan B. Not true? We've already started making preparations how we're going to answer it. We've already made... So when we ask God, would you answer it? But we're already busy maneuvering and making plan B and putting it in place and saying, well... Well, we don't even believe he's going to answer it because we've already made plan B. We're going quiet now. To understand what it is to ask, 
Do you understand what it is? God has no plan B. God has no plan B, only man. There are a whole lot of plan Bs in the church today. But what do plan Bs produce? Anybody know? Ishmael's death, emptiness, all the outward religion of man, Ichabod, anybody else? You can shout it out, this is good. We just come to produce death. It might look good because we're not willing to slaughter the oxen and burn the ply. I want to talk about what it is they ask. Abraham got everything. Why? Why did he get everything? Because he left everything. David left the sheepfold. Moses left Egypt. Abraham left his brethren. Peter left his nets. And the principles found in our master. He left the splendor of heaven that he might gain us. So before we ask, we got to understand what it is to slay your oxen and burn your plough. 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll go back to the beginning of this 11-year journey. 1 Kings 19 and verse 13. This is just after the great revival of 1 Kings 18. And we see the reality in the power of God. We see the testimony has gone out about what God has done in revival. We see then Elijah runs as the message comes from Jezebel that she's going to destroy him. He finds himself in a cave. In 1 Kings 19.13, we see that God comes and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And we see that he was in that still, small voice. And so in verse 13 it says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. He made a grave mistake and said, I, even I only, am left. They seek my life and to take it away. And so often what we can become trapped in is this thought that it's only me that has a passion for the things of God or a passion to serve God. Elijah had really made a grave mistake here. Do you know in this land there's more than 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to this antichrist system. Do you know there's pockets of God's people all across Ireland, north, south, east, west, and England, Scotland, and Wales that are standing, believing, praying, and longing for God to turn the tide of wickedness. Elijah had got himself into a place believing that he was the only one left. And then the Lord speaks to him in verse 15 and says, Go your way, return on thy way into the wilderness of Damascus, when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nisha, that shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah shall now anoint to be prophet in thy room. Verse 17. And it came, and it shall come to pass, that him that escapes the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he departed thence. He found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying the twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve. twelve. And Elijah passed by him, cast his mantle upon him. Now here's the key to asking. And he left the oxen ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. And here began a journey of an eleven of eleven years of a man with a burning question in his heart, 
I want a double portion of the Spirit that's upon you. Here's the key that's so often missed in asking. Here's the principle. When we come to prayer, when we're asking the impossible, here's a key to find the secret of life from above. Until you slaughter your oxen, I'm going to tell you what that means in a moment. And until you burn your plow, you cannot receive plan A. So important to know this this morning because we all want to see a move of the Spirit of God, don't we? We're all believing for a revival. We're believing for a move. We see the wickedness. It's the same as Israel in this day. They see the worship of Baal. It hasn't gone away. The worship of Baal is alive and well in the United Kingdom, in Northern Ireland, in Ballinahench this morning. Baal worship. It's alive and well. Idolatry is everywhere. And we see the decline in the spiritual despair that has come. But here in this story, we see this prophet Elijah. And we see Elisha. And he's out and he's plowing with the oxen, 12 oxen. I've never plowed with oxen. I've never held a a wooden instrument called a ply. But I would say it wouldn't be easy work. Would, would you say I'd be right, Bran? I'd say it'd be tough enough work. I know we've got all the modern instruments today. Thank God for that. But a man with 12 oxen on a ply, yoked, plying that field, I would say that that was tough work. And here we see Elisha. And I believe before Elijah ever came into his life, I believe that Elisha had a desire for to see the reality of God in his life. Now as he's out in that field, it was hard work. There was sweat. There was tears. There was everything that went with that plan of that field. But then this day Elijah comes along. And he recognizes the Spirit of the Lord brought that witness into Elisha's life. That this is Elijah the prophet. This is the prophet of the Lord. This is the man that has brought this revival on Mount Carmel. And so as, that, as the prophet goes by, he recognizes that this is the moment. This is the purpose of my whole life. This is why I have been born. This is why I've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is our moment, church of the living God. This is our hour. This is the very time that we have been birthed. There are many things that are happening. There is much backsliddenness, decay, and apostasy. But this is the greatest moment for the church of Jesus Christ. This is the hour that we have come to. They understood the purpose of God, that God had a plan, and he has a plan. God has a plan. The devil has a plan, but God has a great plan. And we see now Elisha recognizes the moment. He recognizes the hour, the plying, the oxen, the work, the tears, the sweat. Now the moment has come for the mantle. And so as Elijah passes by, he recognizes this is time to slay my oxen and to burn my plow. I want you to listen carefully because this is important. Because this will bring victory into people's lives this morning. So many are still plying with the oxen. So many are still plying with the oxen. The oxen, of course, and the slaying of the oxen, oxen is a type of us dying to self, slaying the flesh, putting to death everything that's not us. Jesus said, if any man be my disciple, we know, this, we, know the, we know it well here. What has he got to do? Deny himself, take up his, come on, and. So when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracle of the new birth happened. Why did it happen? Because you give everything. When you were saved, you say, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my all. Warts, sin, burdens, everything. Would you take it? And the Lord said, I'll take it. I'll take you. And we're born again of the Spirit of God. Then what happens as we go on in life? That liberty that we were delivered in. You know the moment you were saved, Joe? The moment you were set free. The joy of your sins forgiven. The liberty that Jesus gave you. 
And then you begin to walk on in life and somehow or another a ply is put in front of you and you lay hold of that old ply because it feels safe. But it's a man-made instrument. Are you hearing me? So it feels comfortable. It could be religion. It could be denominationalism. It could be your own fears. It could be your own intimidations or whatever. But here you're holding the ply now. And will I feel comfortable with this? And then the oxen start to be added on all the things of the flesh. All the, un, all the ungodly desires. They start to be awakened again. And now you're plowing through. Plowing through. You know, Paul writes to the Galatians in a different context, but the same principle. What does he say? Stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. Isn't that what happens? So we've got the ply, and now we've grabbed the ply into the ground, and now we're plodding through the Christian life with the ply, with the oxen, and all the things of the flesh begin to well up within us, and we're going on for Jesus but it's defeat, it's despair, there's burdens, there's weights, there's all the things come into our lives. Brothers and sisters, it's time to slay the oxen and burn your ply. Burn your ply. Crucify the flesh. That's the power of the cross in the life of the believer. But burn the ply, brothers and sisters. Stop holding on to the ply. Burn it. And you'll know the liberty of Christ in your life. But we're so prone to go back. We're so prone. You know, we take those steps like Peter out of the boat. And we sense the vulnerability that comes. And all there is is you and God. And the faith. And you're looking to Jesus. And you're saying, God, I'm coming. And then you look down. And what happens? The fear comes. What do you do? You go straight back to the workshop. Pull out the wood. And you make yourself a new ply. And you say, but I'm safer standing, holding on to the ply. You know, it's like those kids when they get up and you get the wee walkie thing with them. And then they get in the walkie and they're like all right. And then your ankles get done in and they're flying around the kitchen and everything. And you take them out of that. And all of a sudden the legs are moving and they're not too sure. We're so prone as a church in every denomination to build plies, to build man-made instruments it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel comfortable. We don't want to let it go. We don't want it to be broken because it's safe. Brothers and sisters, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so Elisha knew this was his moment. I must slay the oxen. Slay the works of the flesh. Slay those things in my life that are not pleasing to the Lord, but not only slay them, that's the flesh part. you got to burn the ply. Because the ply is something you'll always resort back to. It keeps you safe and secure. The Bible says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. What does he promise? I'll give you rest. Then he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek, Lowly in heart, and you'll find what? Rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden, what is it? Light. Now, what have you learned of Jesus? What is this yoke? If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20, we'll read of the, what it is to learn of Christ. These are the basics of Christianity. Ephesians 4 and 20 says these words, but ye have not so learned Christ. So what have we learned from him? If so be that you have heard him and you have been taught by him as the truth is in. Who's the truth in? Would you say Jesus this morning? Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. That ye put off. Here it is. Here's the slaying and here's the burning. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, now here's the oxen. And there's more than 12, by the way. Wherefore, put away lying. 
Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So we see here what it is to learn. Learn of Jesus. What have we learned from the Lord? How are we to conduct ourselves as Christians? How are we to live in this world? It's a wicked world. It's a bitter world. They hate the Lord. They hate Christians. They hate the things of God. They hate God's word. They hate God's day. They hate everything about those that follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And how then are we to learn? And how are we to conduct ourselves in this day? This is how we're to walk. This is the life that we're to live. And so the reality of it is that we need to slay the oxen. What comes out of your mouth? What is said from your heart? What words do you speak? What things do you watch? Where is your heart? Because if we're asking this morning, you know, we're going to look at the context of asking because most people say, well, if I just ask anything in his name, it shall be done. That's the word of God. But there's context to what it means to ask because you can't ask with unforgiveness in your heart. Anybody know that? Would you put your hand up if you've ever ever read that somewhere? You can't ask for God to do the impossible if there's unforgiveness in your heart. God, give us the grace to get right with one another because we want to see God move by his power. We want the impossible. But I have to go down into the nitty-gritty if you don't mind. Not just to rub your back and say everything's great. We've got to get things right in our hearts. So we're going to ask. We've got to have our hearts right. You know, when it talks about a grain is touching anything, do you know the context of that is what? What's the context of what he's telling us? Well, I agree with Stephen. I'm going to pray this morning for revival. I'm going to believe God. He's praying for it. I'm praying for it. We're in agreement together. Praise the Lord. There's power in agreement. How many people know that? There's power in agreement. When the church agrees, when there's a united church, when we come together in agreement, but... The context of that is, if you have anything in your heart against your brother, then you need to go to your brother. You need to make sure you get that right. Then we can come and we can get down in that altar and we can say, God, this morning, we're going to believe for a miracle. How about we just want to ask and God doesn't answer me? Listen, we got to burn. We got to slay the oxen. We got to burn the plies. We got to burn the plies. It keeps us safe. Well, I'm back on the ply again. Tomorrow morning, I'll just make a wee step out today, you know, just lift my hand this much. But tomorrow morning, no, sir, back onto the ply. Burn the ply. Burn it. Slay the oxen. You see, you need the ply to be burnt in order to burn up all the death. There's nothing worse. Years ago in Beaver, growing up, sorry to resort to Beaver again, but there was a pig factory. Remember the pig factory? And boy, I tell you, the smell, the smell of pigs, dead pigs. That's what some days beavers smell like. <laughs> I mean, it would have churned, it would have churned your it was rough. You come out, the smell. Now I like bacon. Don't worry about that. Well cooked, but this wasn't that type of smell. It was awful. There's nothing worse than the smell. Of rotten flesh. Nothing worse. Spiritually. Nothing worse. And the world know it too. They do know it. The Emmons. Emmons sure they, the they don't talk to Emmons. And they're all supposed to be Christians. You don't think the world don't see it? And no we do then. People then stand in the streets. And talk about church stuff. We had a big man that visited this church. Last week the lads will tell you. A big man that was broken, tears in his eyes, wrecked, absolutely wrecked, broken, a Christian man. 
of what some of the stuff that's going on in Balnage. I don't know what's going on in Balnage, but what I want to tell you some this morning, brothers and sisters, is I want to believe, I want to agree with people that are going to agree together and say, we're going to believe that Balnage is going to see a revival. That's why I'm here. That's what I've been born for. That's what I've been born. There's no plan B. There's no plan B. You know, I heard that message a couple of weeks ago. And I can remember a couple of years ago that I was, you remember I brought to you what I believe the Lord had showed me or talked to me about, about believing the Lord for 500 souls in Balnehan. Anybody remember that? I battled with that for a long time. Then I realized that my cup's too small. Because I heard Carter Conlon on a platform two weeks ago saying, I've asked the Lord for 60 million. I'm not Carter Conlon. I'm just Tim McElrath. I don't have his teeth or his hair. But I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to believe for 500 souls at least and bound the hedge. Why do we limit God? God's not interested whether it's Times Square Church or New Testament Pentecostal Church in Balnehenge, Main Street, or wherever that church is, but is there a people that are saying, we're going to slay our oxen, burn our plies, and we're going to believe God? That's what he's interested in. But the ply, you see, you get, after a while, see, wood, after a while, you get a good, and then your hands become so comfortable, because wood wears in, and it's just your ply. No, but this is my ploy. And I know, Tim, I know what you're saying, Like, but I like my ploy. And you might have your ploy all sanded down and it all looking well and maybe some flashy stuff on the side. And you might dicky it up in some way and, wow, look at you. might put lights in your ploy. You might have a wee aerial and a wee flag and, oh, and a bell. You know, like Christmas time, everyone's out in their new bike. Look at my ploy. Listen. What an offense to the Holy Ghost. We dress it up in some way, some type of religious thing, some type of, but this is my, I have a right to hold on. I tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, we've got to know what it is to ask. I'm going to tell you, when we come to Calvary, we have no rights. All rights are bankrupt at Calvary. The only thing that we have a right to do there is bow down and worship the King of Kings. Stop playing on the field of failure. I wonder how many, I nearly heard it spiritually, how many plows and oxen come clattering through the double doors this morning, parked it all up. I'm not talking about the trolleys or the prams. I'm talking in a spiritual sense. And everyone drops their plow down and their oxen go, wonder what it's going to be like this morning. God, forgive us. Let us slay the oxen. Slay the works of the flesh. Slay the things. We have only a short time left. Christ could come at any moment, even before this service is over. We don't want to be playing in the field of failure and despair and defeat and self-pity and self-righteousness and all our religious efforts. Friends, is it not time we burn the plows? Is it not time we slay the flesh? Is it not time we just come together as a body of believers and say, God, we're nothing, we're nobodies. We have just been saved by the grace of God, but we're going to agree together and we're going to ask you a really hard question. Lord, would you give us revival in Balnehinch? And the Lord says, is there anything too hard for me? Elisha followed Elijah, closing in two minutes. You see... This man, anywhere you've seen Elijah, anywhere you've seen Elijah, if you just stop for a moment, within a second later, there's Elisha right behind him. See, he wanted something. He had such a desire, it would cause him to seek after. That's what desire does. It's more than a song. It's more than nice chords. I have a desire, but see that desire? I am going to seek after that. And so every time you see Elijah, the old man walking along, this, this hurry gentleman, this strange individual, and then you just notice two seconds later, there's Elisha. Everywhere he went, what a picture of us and Jesus. 
Everywhere he leads, I will go. Wherever the Lamb leads me, I will follow. Wherever he puts me, I will go. Whatever he says, I will do. Wherever he wants me to be, I am going to be. What obedience. I'll not go back to the ply. I'll not go back to the religious mode. I'll not go back to just doing it plan B. And so Elisha and Elijah, Elijah says, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to go to Gilgal. Now these places are significant. I'm closing with this. We'll come back to it next week. Gilgal is the place of testimony. You remember the stones? We spoke on it a while ago. Where was the stones raised up? The testimony was raised up at Gilgal. And this is what the Lord says of Gilgal. Elijah brings Elisha to Gilgal. This is what the Lord says in Joshua 5 and 9. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. He brings him to a place where he says, I've taken away your shame. Isn't it wonderful to know if you're saved that he's taken away our shame? Do you see the principles? He's taken away your shame. Would you say amen if you believe that? Listen, brothers and sisters, he's taken away our shame. Listen, it's what a truth this is this morning. I meet old guys all the time that I used to run around with. They remember, and then I feel a sense of shame, but then I remember what the Lord has done, and I have no shame. No shame. Why? Because it's all under the blood. So he brings them to this place. I'll take away your reproach. Then Elijah said to, to Elisha, the Lord's told me to go to Bethel. Now look at Elisha. If you desire something, you'll seek after it. Look at Elisha. What does he say? You're going there, I'm going to. You are not going to get out of my sight. Because I have a desire. This is what desire is. But desire would cause you to seek after it. You know, I hear loads of people saying what they're seeking after or what they desire. But I don't see prayer meetings full. Do you? Oh, we really want revival. And we're going to sing about it this morning and the whole place. We're like, we're loving it. But there's revival prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And not only are we coming to revival prayer meeting, but we're coming to pray in a revival prayer meeting. Because if that's what you desire, that's what you'll seek after. But you see, if your desire is, I wonder who's playing, then that's what your heart's after. And you settle for plan B. And let me tell you something. You'll be disappointed with plan B. Because we're only after God's plan. That's plan A. And so he says, I'm going to Bethel. I'm going to bring you to this next. Where's Bethel? It's the house of God. Isn't it great that not only does God bring us out, but he brings us in? Isn't that wonderful? He takes the solitary and he puts them in. The families, the family of God. So he brings them to the house of God and reveals to them where Jacob laid down his head and the heavens were open. We have access right into the throne of God. And Elisha says, I'm following you. And then he says, the Lord has told me to do, go to Jericho. You know what Elisha said? I'm going to. I'm going to. What does Jericho speak of? It speaks to us that in this life we can know the victory of Jesus in every trial in every circumstance in every battle the Jerichos and the walls come down lastly they approach the Jordan what a type what picture there is here of one going up and the Spirit coming down. It's Pentecost. Christ is glorified. And he promised us as we sang this morning. The promise of the Father. I'll go to Jordan. And all along the path. All along the path. We're closing. For the last time we're closing. All along the path. There's voices. Shouting out to Elisha. 
It's over today, man. It's your last Sunday. Elijah's going. Not going to make it. Mountain's too high. Valley's too deep. It's all over. And Elisha keeps his eye on Elijah. I'm going with him. I know exactly what you're saying. But your voice or your distractions aren't going to put me off from what I seek after. We come to the next place. And there's all the there's all the experts. Where's all the experts? They're in the North Stand of Minders Park. Isn't that right? That's where all the experts are. I could should have done that. And if I had it done, and see if I was a pastor, I'd have done it this way, and I'd have had it that way, and this is what I would do. That's okay, no problem. But we're just going to keep following Elijah. But hey, you'd like the whole world. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, but we're just going to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're going to keep an eye on the reviver. We're just going to keep going. But are you going to keep going this old stuff, this old stuff, this old songs? This, you better believe it. But do you not modernize it? Could you not do something? I mean, you know what I mean? What's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. We're just keeping our eyes on Jesus. Where he goes, we are going to follow. And then we're going to ask. Don't be fickle, brothers and sisters. Because what we have asked, let me tell you, we've asked a hard thing. We've asked an impossible thing. But let me tell you, I serve a God who hears. Number two, he answers prayer. Don't build your ply. Don't go back to the ply. Don't let all the things of the flesh keep the cross in your life. Just keep following Jesus. Keep your eyes on the goal. A double portion of the spirit of Elijah upon his people. Brothers and sisters, I'm believing for it. I'm believing for it. Slay the oxen. Burn the ply. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I could have said it all in three minutes. Maybe you need to deal with these things. Maybe I need to deal with these things. Maybe we need to burn the ply. Burn it. And allow God to be God. Let him come in all his glory. Let's stand together this morning. The musicians would come, praise the Lord.